Hey everyone, Pastor Blake Harkup here from Bedrock, Sarasota. I just wanted to take a minute to welcome you to our podcast. We hope that you get to know God more, that you feel encouraged, and that you see how God's moving in your life from a brand new perspective. Enjoy today's message. Well, hey everybody. Happy Father's Day. Father's Day. The word father can create all kinds of emotions. Sometimes happy, sometimes sad, maybe he's not with you anymore. Sometimes hurt. Everybody you talk to has a different impression of dad. Maybe you grew up with no dad. Maybe he was a great dad. I've titled this message, Lessons from Four Fathers, and it's actually going to be my grandfather, my dad, me. By the way, I have five kids, 28, 27, 26, 25, and 22. They're not all mine. I'm not that good. Um, We're a blended family, so two are mine. I got three more in the bonus round, but they're all really close together. So imagine this, having five teenagers under the roof simultaneously, and then taking them to five different schools every morning. It used to take us well, about an hour and a half uh, in the morning, I would go one way, my wife would go the other way, and then in the afternoon, just about the time you're starting to get stuff done, you're going back out to bring everybody back again. So grandfather, father, me, and then God, who I like to call the truth, because everything else you would believe is not the truth, just God's truth. Now, I'm a grandson, I'm a son, I'm a dad, I'm a stepdad, I'm a son of God. I'm even a grandfather. Just don't tell anybody. Florida native, one of the only guys who'll meet over the age of 50 with a, with a Florida birth certificate. But I did spend 20 years as a bypass living in the Pacific Northwest where it rained 315 days out of the year. Now you know why I'm back in Florida. I am divorced and remarried. The divorce is actually the catalyst that ended up putting me up here, that brought me into the kingdom of God, that changed me from the inside out, and I'm so thankful that God is a God of second chances because I got a chance to marry way above my pay grade on the second go-round, and it's just been a blessing. She's in the front. I love her. She's always with me. She's actually going to be here. She's actually going to be here tomorrow morning. I'm like, why do you want to hear me twice? You know, I don't even know. When I talk to guys, I talk to them often about your story. Everybody in this room right now has a story. I don't want you to confuse your story with your testimony. Your testimony is that moment where you met the Lord. If you have, you met the Lord, and this is the thing that you share with everybody. I believe relational evangelism is one of the best ways to lead people to the foot of the cross because what you've gone through, what God's brought you through, will resonate with someone that only you will be able to reach, and God's really good at that. He puts the right people in front of you that will resonate with your testimony. That's your testimony. Your story is actually a really bad B-grade science fiction parallel universe of who you think you are based on the interactions that you've had with other people your entire life. And it usually starts with dad and mom. They're the ones that begin penning the stories. And some of us in this room might be living with the, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough, I'm not skinny enough, I'm not fast enough, I don't make enough money, I'm not the best. Maybe you never heard I love you, or I'm proud of you. 
Maybe you can relate to this one. I used to hear, why can't you be more like? Just fill in the blank. Sister, cousin, nephew, guy down the street, postman, person bagging groceries, Rob. Rob, why can't you be more like Rob? That was always the one that I used to hear. Rob was my locker partner in high school. Rob, really? (laughs) Rob graduated from the University of Washington, then went off to Asia and taught English. I thought, that's kind of easy. I mean, you're just teaching your own native language to somebody else. How hard can that possibly be? And then he ends up marrying uh, a local and moves back, gets his master's degree. And uh, then he says, I remember at our 10-year reunion, he told me he was going to work for some company that sold books online. Like, what does that even mean, books online? Really? He's now the vice president of Asian acquisitions for Amazon, so maybe I should be more like Rob. I've met people that have heard, I wish you were never born. You're a mistake. That hurts. Those are difficult to unhear. But let me tell you this. Most of the time, the stories that we believe about ourselves are an abject lie of the enemy of our souls, designed to keep us down here, to never be who God says we can be because somebody once said, I'll never amount to anything. I'll never be good enough. I'll never be smart enough. I'll never be fast enough. So before we go any further, I am declaring freedom from the lies that we believe in somebody today that you will walk out the doors, leaving it at the foot of the cross, and you'll never believe it again because it's a lie. And the enemy is really good. The Bible says that the enemy is the father of lies, and when he speaks, he speaks his native tongue, which is all junk. And it oftentimes drowns out what God's trying to say to us. Oftentimes, too, we tend to assign the character of our earthly father onto God. Abusive. He's a taskmaster. If I don't do my quiet time today, there's going to be some consequences for that. He's uncaring. I keep praying and nothing's happening. He must not care, just like my dad. You see how it works? We start putting the characteristics of humans on a sovereign and all-loving holy God. A disconnected God. Maybe he's an absentee God. You pray and he never answers. Maybe you had one of those dads. My dad wasn't necessarily an absentee. He was physically there, but there was a lot of times where he was completely disconnected from everything that was going on. Maybe he was, maybe you think God's performance-based. I met a kid at the Naval Academy when I was speaking there who came up to me and told me two things. I, I hate my dad was the first thing that he said. And I'm like, Dude, you're graduating from the United States Naval Academy. How could you possibly hate anything? He said, I didn't even want to go here. I wanted to go to Texas A&M, but since my grandfather went here and my dad went here, my family legacy is always Naval Academy. Maybe you feel that God is an abandoner. That leads me to dad number one. My grandfather. My grandfather walked out on my dad when my dad was nine years old. Just went right down the sidewalk. According to my father, who's now 85 years old and still has not forgiven the man, he ran off and started a new family. I only know two things about my biological grandfather. His name was Joseph, because my uncle's name is Joe Jr., so I figured somewhere upstream there had to be a Joe. 
and he was diabetic, died of complications due to diabetes in 1989. Because my father always says, make sure you get your blood checked, because my sire, that's what he calls him, died from complications due to diabetes. So my dad's gone through his entire life thinking that God will leave him just like dad did. And the lesson that he learned is people will always leave me. Now I want to talk about my dad. Navy officer. Anybody grow up in a military house? High discipline, no fun. Also did uh, special operations with the Navy. He was an underwater explosives guy, so he would swim around and like plant bombs and blow stuff up. And he also knew how to take them apart, apparently. But he was covert. I could never sneak into the house. I would, like, be real crafty sneaking in the house, and there he is right behind me. I mean, he's, like, one second away from potentially killing me because it was, like, this guy was total black ops. And then he became an attorney. Very unemotional, and it all stems from the fact that his father left, so he doesn't have a lot of emotion. I've never seen much. I grew up in kind of a no-news-is-good-news house. If he wasn't talking, I was doing it right. Most of the time when he said something, I was doing it wrong. I remember when I was seven years old, he asked me to take the keys out of my mom's 1963 Dodge Dart. Now, there might be a couple of people in here that remember this car that are old enough to remember it, but this thing was ugly. My mom bought it in Miami when she was a flight attendant with no air conditioning. Who buys a car in Miami with no air conditioning? This thing had a slant six engine and a push-button transmission like a vending machine. So when you wanted to go somewhere, you would clunk it into gear by pushing the buttons. Needless to say, it wasn't the most reliable transmission in the world. But I remember him asking me to take the keys out of the car, and I ran out seven years old. I thought, man, this is the coolest thing my dad's ever asked me to do. So I jumped behind the wheel. My friend Scotty from down the street is over, and he leans against the roof, and I jump behind the wheel. And you can't get behind the wheel of a car without pretending to drive the whip a little bit. So I'm kind of like this, and he thought I was the coolest thing. And then I looked at the keys, and I was paralyzed because I was a backseat kid. I rode in the backseat until I was like 15. I'd never seen anybody do anything with the keys. They just magically jumped out of my mom's purse and the car was running and then they would just jump right back into the purse. I didn't know what I was doing so I turned them and I started my mom's car. I have never seen my dad move that fast ever. He was out the door, pulled me off the steering wheel, held me up by the arms and started wailing on my butt. I went to bed without dinner, sent my friend home. That was a cardinal punishment back in the day. Young people don't know what it's like. Go to bed without dinner, no TV. So, you know, I, I, it was painful because I was laying there crying because I'd been wrongfully accused. Lord knows I'd done enough stuff to get my tail beat by seven years old that I thought maybe he didn't know about. But this was an accident. Have you ever been falsely accused? It hurts. I ended up learning from my dad that I, that I can't do anything right. I'm never good enough. That's the lesson that I learned from all that. Because you know what? That lesson has followed me all around my life. It didn't just stop at seven years old. When I was in high school, my dad would pull out my, uh, get my report card. Y'all remember when you had to bring your report cards home? Anybody old enough to remember that? Sealed envelope, no midterms, right? You just, you were bringing home a nine-week surprise and hoping that you weren't going to get your tail kicked. But like, you did, hopefully you did the work would 
give the, and your parents had to sign it, and then you had to bring it back. Nobody even remembers this. No grades online. Young people, online did not exist. And there were no midterms. It was nine weeks, do or die, at the dinner table. I got really good grades all the way through school, except I could never get an A in PE. And so, and you know what? To this day, I have not had to climb a rope and hit a ceiling anywhere in my career. But they, you know, that was something that I just had to master. So I would bring my report card home and give it to my dad, and he would look at it and make those nonverbal grunting noises that dads make, right? Mm-hmm. I could tell right where he was. I could track him by his noises as he was going down my report card. And then he would hesitate when he got to the B. And he would turn it around and point at it. Say, what happened here? They were all A's, mind you, and one B. But you know, I just continued to reaffirm the story that I began to believe about myself as I'm not good enough. It translates into work. It's translated into raising kids. It's translated into marriage. This is the story that I've carried through my life. I remember getting an email from a guy at an event in New Jersey who basically just destroyed me in this email. I can remember, you ever get an email you can remember word for word? I can remember exactly what this guy said word for word. I mean, terrible message, lousy content, fat, bald, mama's an idiot. I mean, just everything. And then I realized he was from New Jersey and he was probably complimenting me. I mean, that's... <laughs> but you know, no matter what he, what he was trying to say, no matter how well I do in front of people elsewhere, there were, there were like 1,500 guys in this room and I just narrowed down to this one dude. Regardless of what the other 1,499 people said, that guy wrecked me because he reaffirmed the same story I've believed about myself for years, which is I can't do anything right. I'm not good enough. Father number three, me. For about 20 years, I was a prodigal son. For about 15 years, I had a prodigal son. He still kind of parachutes in and out of our lives. When he was under the same roof as me in, uh, before the divorce, I never invested any time. I was always gone, worked too many hours. He went through a divorce at a very young age. And then his biological mom passed away when he was about 14 years old. He moved back across the back and forth across the country so many times I think I've actually lost count. Three days before his 18th birthday, living in our house, he disappeared. He just left, packed his stuff and took off. Spent the next several years sleeping in cars and couch surfing. Ended up meeting a young lady. Suddenly had a little girl. They got married. Now he's an amazing dad and a great husband. But there was a season. I don't know if you've ever had a prodigal kid, ladies and gentlemen, but it hurts to not hear, to not get a phone call, to not get a happy Father's Day. To go through all of those seasons is really painful. I tried to be a good dad. But every day I would wake up, and I mean, even still, sometimes I look at myself in the mirror and I think, there's so much I could have done better as a dad. I failed. My lesson that I've learned is I am a failure as a father. 
Now I want to take a look at the only Father who really matters, with a capital F, the one who holds our future in his hands, God. Let's go back and do a quick review because I want to, I want to cover some things here. Maybe you've got the I'm not filling the blank enough. You're not fast enough, smart enough, skinny enough, strong enough, make enough money. Fill in the blank, whatever your story happens to be. Maybe you have the why can't you be more like your brother, your sister, your cousin, your friend, the neighbor, anybody else but you. Well, here's what God says. The lesson that I learned when I felt I was not good enough is what God says in Psalm 139, 13, and 14. He says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. God doesn't make junk, is the paraphrase. As a matter of fact, the next time you feel worthless, remember this one thing. You are worth the price of exactly one son of God. Maybe you've got a story of everybody leaves me. Here's the lesson that we learn from God. In Hebrews 13, 5, it says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And you know, because I, I know I'm personally a kind of a big, dumb, stupid animal sometimes, and I need to hear things more than once. Do you know that nine different times in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, verbatim. Not only will I not leave, I will never turn my back. So even if your own dad walked out on you, God will never go anywhere. There are seasons when my kids haven't wanted to talk to me, but I know that God's still there, and I know that he's not done. He works out all things for the good. He's going to eventually resolve the problems and the issues and the pain that every one of us has because he's altogether good. He's altogether holy. There's another lesson learned. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Psalm 27. 10. This is one of my favorites about everybody leaving me. This is from Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is a prophetic book that points more than 100 times, many centuries ahead of schedule before Jesus even showed up, point right at Jesus. That's where we get the, by his stripes we are healed. He was pierced for our transgressions in Isaiah 53. But Isaiah 49 is four chapters ahead of this and I love these words. It says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the, this is God talking, and have no compassion on the child she has born? It's not really a rhetorical question, but here's what God says. Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you in the palms of my hands. Another prophecy pointed directly at Jesus, that engraving or nail holes. God was talking about something that was going to happen to Isaiah centuries before Jesus was even on the ground. Maybe you have the no one will ever love me story. You're single, no one will ever love me. Your kids, no one will ever love me. John 15, 9 says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Remain, meaning we're already under it. All we gotta do is stay in it. I mean, he's, he's got us covered but we need to make sure that we stay underneath that covering, remain inside the love that he already has for us. Maybe you've got the I'm not worth paying attention to story. That was another one of mine. I was really good at that one too. 
Because when my dad would get home, he would watch the news, read the mail, and do all that stuff before we were even around. I mean, I could be sitting right there waving my hands, and he was so focused on everything else that I knew that I wouldn't get my father's attention until I heard Walter Cronkite say, and that's the way it is, which old people will know exactly what I'm talking about. Young guys and gals, Google it, because he's a legend. But that's the way he signed off on all of his news reports. Well, what happened is, I wanted, when I got older, I wanted to be the life of the party. We see this manifest itself in a lot of different ways. The I'm not worth paying attention to story can be someone who posts everything about their life on social media. But it's always framed in and cropped. You don't see that the beautiful car that they're standing in front of isn't really theirs, or that their brand new car has two flat tires, or, or any number of things, because all you see is the frame that they want you to see. Or the person with 15 college degrees down their wall. More initials after their name than their actual name. Because they just want someone to come into their office and say, look at how smart you are. Because no one said it. And you know what? That doesn't matter. This is the lesson that you learn from 1 John 5, 14. It says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Maybe you have nobody cares about me. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him, all. Translated from the original language, all. Because he cares for you. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, you know what, I'm too messed up for God right now. There's no way I can come back after what I've been through. The Bible says in Psalm 51, verse 7, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Or the one that I, this is the one that I wrestled with for many years. God would never want me. And I want to really briefly read this to you because it's so worth reading. It's from Luke 15, 11 through 22, and it's the story of the prodigal son. If you haven't heard it, it's one of the best parables in the entire Gospels. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. I have to stop here for a minute 
None of that stuff is possible without forgiveness. We have to let it go. You may have heard it said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. In most cases, the people that harmed us the most, oh, get my sweaty preacher on here. The ones that harmed us the most, long since forgot about it. There was a point when I had a lunch with my son and he called me out on something that I had said to him 15 years earlier and I didn't even remember what that day was and he actually remembered the day of the week he said it was Wednesday. I was sitting on the edge of my bed. I was playing my Game Boy. It was Mario Kart. And you came in and said to me this. And I'm like, I can't remember what I had for breakfast. I can't remember why I walk into rooms anymore. Anybody under 50, you just wait. You'll walk in the kitchen and go, why did I even come in here? We had a long season where he didn't want to have anything to do with us. Probably my fault. It was my fault. Then he and his wife ended up with no place to live. Not through any fault of their own. They were living with some people in a big house, and they, the other people ended up splitting up, and they were stuck with this massive house, and they couldn't do anything with it. And instead of living in their car this time, uh, my wife, I would have probably not been the one to do this, but my wife said, well, they need to move in here, because we have a whole bunch of empty bedrooms now because some of the kids are gone. The last time... He was in our house. We're not sure if stuff disappeared. We're not, I mean, he took off three days before his 18th birthday, never said a word, just gone. And now he's going to live under our roof? And he moved in with his wife and our little granddaughter, who was awesome, by the way. And then they decided they were going to move to Greenville, South Carolina, several months later. The last weekend, they were home we all went to church. And as we were on our way to church, um, his wife got really sick, started feeling really, really sick. We didn't know this because we were driving in the car in front of them. When we got to the church parking lot, my son jumped out of his car and ran over and was crying. And he, was, he hugged me. And I, he's, I said, what? What? What's going on? It's like, we left the house. You were good. Now you're crying. What's the deal? And he told me that she wasn't feeling well. And he prayed to God, the God he hadn't spoken to in years, to take away his wife's pain and heal her, and he did. And my son was so overtaken with emotion that he just sobbed. And then we went into the church, and they sat in the back row, both of them. She was a lifetime Jehovah's Witness. He was a complete walk-away prodigal kid. The Word of God's in here but it just wasn't getting through. He rededicated himself to the Lord that day in the church. And she turned to him and said, you know what, for the first time in my life, I actually feel hope. And then we actually, <laughs> sorry, we went home and instead of, he wanted to watch Veggie Tales on VHS, like we have a VHS player anywhere. That's what he wanted to do. I want to watch, I want to show my daughter. He wanted to show our seven-year-old granddaughter Veggie Tales because that's what he grew up watching. But it never would have happened that way if I hadn't turned the keys of forgiveness over to God because he wronged me bad. 
And maybe you've been wronged bad. Maybe you've been spoken to horribly. We have to let it go in order to to turn the keys over to God to begin moving in our circumstances. This is a lesson that I learned with my son from Matthew 18, 12, and 13. If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he's happier about the one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. Maybe you've been so wounded that uh, you've closed God out, like my son. I spent years having people tell me that I needed Jesus, and my response was typically, Jesus who? I didn't meet the Lord until I was in my 30s. I lived 20-some-odd years with me uh, driving the truck, and it was not a pretty picture. But then he got a hold of my life and changed everything. But I let a lot of hurt and a lot of anger towards my dad. My wife was sitting right across the room and I had a phone call with my father and and called him horrible names and hung up. And when I hung up, I said, I no longer have a dad. And then several years later, I was talking to my mom on the phone, who I hadn't talked to for a long time at that point, and she told me what my father had done for me when I was younger as an attorney. I got myself in trouble, and behind the scenes, my dad went around and worked everything out. Broke my heart for my father, who'd been left also. And My mom said, you know, I'll never forget. I've only seen your dad cry one time. And I said, what's wrong, honey? And he said, you know, not many guys know what it's like to be abandoned by their father and abandoned by their only son. And that was when God broke my heart for this this dad. So I went in in the house, bought a plane ticket, flew all the way to Portland, Oregon, rented a car just to show up at my dad's house to apologize. It didn't go like I wanted it to go. I was expecting a glorious reunion. I said, son, after everything I did for you, you call me those horrible names, and I don't think I can ever forgive that, I think is how he put it. But you know what? Over time, God restored our relationship, and I just talked to him yesterday, and... um, He's an amazing man who I completely maligned. All those years, I thought he was the jerk, and it turned out it was all me. And when I opened myself up to seek forgiveness, God restored that relationship. So in the last, like, five years, six years, I've gotten my dad and my son back. But it all started with, number one, identifying that I was the idiot in both circumstances and that I had to let it go. I don't know who that's for, but we, we've got to let them go. We have to release them because they have control over our lives for absolutely no reason at all. You're giving someone control over your life when God should have control over your life. And maybe you have no idea because of deep father wounding or anything like that. I want to tell you a story. I'm going to kind of close with this. Um, Cody, come on up. Um, 
I heard this story of, of a little island off the coast of England. It was a small fishing village. There wasn't much to it. And there weren't that many residents. You know, a couple hundred people lived on this little tiny island out by the Isle of Man. And everybody lived way up on the top so they could see uh, the seas. And then everything industrial... God? Um, everything industrial was down, was down along the bottom. Thanks for that, Cody. Love, love the sound effects, man. I needed to be better timed. Okay, so all these people live on this little island, and they're all fishermen, because that's just what you do. And so there are fishing boats down at the bottom, and all the industry in the school. And they had one bus with a bus driver who would go K through 12, go all the way up. The bus was parked down below. He'd go all the way up to the top of the hill, pick up all the kids in the morning, and bring them back down. And then at the end of the day, he would pick them all up at school and then drive them all back up to their homes because they all lived at the top of the hill. Well, one morning, he was driving down the hill and the brakes went out on the bus and he couldn't stop. And he's got a bus full of kids and he's absolutely panicked. There's no idea what he's going to do. As he's problem solving while going 60 miles an hour around these curves, he remembers that there's a, a runaway ramp. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen one of those in Florida. There's no reason for it because the highest point is 35 feet above sea level. But if you've ever been in the mountains, they have these runaway ramps that are gravel. And if a truck goes out of control, it can go up the ramp and it sinks into the gravel and it stops it. And so that's what his plan was. As he comes around the corner and sees the ramp, he can't get the, the bus under control. By now, the kids are screaming. And word has already traveled to all the people, all the parents at the top of the hill. So they're all on their way down, praying, I'm assuming, that everything will work out okay because this guy's bus is out of control. And at the end of the road is just a dock that goes out into the ocean. The getaway ramp was his only chance. As he comes around one of the last corners, he remembers that down at the bottom is a field with a, a gap in the fence, and it's really muddy because it rains all the time, and he thought, you know what, I'm just gonna shoot that gap, and I'll put the bus out into the cow pasture, and everything will be okay. See, there was still one kid that he had to pick up down at the bottom on the way to the school. As he looked up towards the field, there was a kid waiting for the bus right in the gap in the fence. He had a decision he had to make. Do I go off into the water or do I go through the gap in the fence? His decision was to go into the field. And as he was about ready to go through the gap in the fence, he grabbed the steering wheel, closed his eyes, and just went through. And the bus came to a stop. All of the parents came down the hill in their cars. Everybody wanted to thank the bus driver because it wasn't his fault that the brakes went out, but he somehow managed to save all of their lives. But they couldn't find him. They couldn't find the bus driver. All I wanted to say was thank you. Someone asked, where's the bus driver? So he's over there on the curb, crying because the little boy he ran over was his own son. If you ever want to know the love of God, He drove over his own son, Jesus, for a busload of people like us. Every time I think about that story, it just resonates with me because I've got kids, and to sacrifice a kid would be unbelievably difficult, impossible. I couldn't do it. That's why I'm not God. 
But he did. He gave his life by nailing his son Jesus to a cross for me. After everything I did, everything I've said, all the unforgiveness that I have in me. Can you feel me? Regardless of what anyone ever said or done, that's the way God feels about you. He loves you more than you'll ever know. And I pray right now that you feel the Father's heart. No matter what any father or mom or anybody around you ever did or said, you can hear him say, I love you. You're my kid. There's nothing you could ever do that would cause me to leave because you're exactly how I made you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for jumping into today's message, and we truly hope that you were encouraged. If you were encouraged, would you like and share this with someone that you truly love and care about? It may just be the thing that they need to get through this week. Also, let us know how the message impacted you, and please let us know any ways that we can be praying for you. But finally, I just wanted to take a minute to thank all of our supporters and those who give generously to make all that we have and do here at Bedrock happen. If you'd like to support us, you can do that really quickly by texting 84321 with any amount and setting up text to give, or you can give on our website. Thank you once again for all that you do, and we hope to see you soon.